Tired of the negative news and flashover substance? It's time for Today with Dr. Wendy. Dr. Wendy Patrick is a trial attorney, patriot, and PhD with a passion for people and a penchant for politics. Dr. Wendy brings you the headlines, streamline, news you can use. It's time to be informed, engaged, and entertained. Now, here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. Good evening and welcome to another edition of Today with Dr. Wendy. Well, my co-host Larry Dersham and I, although we're lawyers, are also sports fans. So we are very excited to be broadcasting on the eve of one of the most important sports days of the year. And that, of course, is Super Bowl Sunday. Now, uh, a couple of fun facts. Uh, You may already have plans made as to where you're going to watch the big game, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink. Did you know? that uh, according to the internet, which is where we all go for information nowadays, approximately 8 million pounds of guacamole is consumed on Super Bowl Sunday. Good stuff, that's no wonder. And 14,500 tons of chips are apparently, presumably, and reportedly eaten along with that guacamole. Although I don't know about you, Larry, I think guacamole goes on everything. It does. um, As does ketchup, maybe that'll be another segment. But this Super Bowl Sunday game is also of the most 10 most watched television programs of all times. When you look at that breakdown, nine of them happen to be Super Bowls. So we already know that. We know it is a beloved uh, and affectionately remembered game for almost everybody listening, whether you even know who's playing or not. I mean, I know people that love the game, love getting together with friends and fans and all the rest of it, regardless of who is playing, whether their team's in it or not. Now, one of the issues this year that has many people talking is everybody wants to have an enjoyable Super Bowl Sunday, but the authorities and the health officials don't want it to be super spreader Sunday. So in order to ensure a safe and fun, a safe and sensational, I often say, Super Bowl Sunday, they have barred, at least in some counties, in Los Angeles County, they have not allowed uh, these large screen TV events to be played tomorrow. So here is what they were looking at. Uh, they have allowed, of course, in LA, and we've heard about this, you can eat outside at 25 and 25% capacity, but are forbidden from watching television while doing so. Here is the rule. Televisions or any other screens that are used to broadcast programming must be removed from the area or turned off according to the order. And of course, it's effective until further notice. Now, we can imagine the rationale behind an order like that, because sure, you can say we'll allow patio dining, but everybody is like crammed in like sardines. That would completely negate the reality and the effect and the intention of these social distancing regulations to begin with. So this is something that sports fans in LA are not pleased about because it's more fun, many of them say to watch with others even though they may love their families there's quite there's nothing quite like the excitement of a crowd and that's why so many sports bars always make so much money on super bowl sunday so i mean with that in mind you got to wonder whether or not you know who's even playing in the game Uh, larry let me offer you two options the halftime show or the commercials i definitely take the commercials i really enjoy those and a lot of times i I hate to admit this, I miss watching the Super Bowl. I just don't get around to doing it. But I always like to pick up on the commercials afterwards. They're so clever. And the amount of money they pay for that uh, one minute or however long it lasts, 
they really put in a lot of effort, and they're so clever and funny usually. So I love the commercials. I would take that over the halftime show any day. Okay, because, you know, the halftime show, um, obviously, it's always good, but you are correct that commercials have a little bit of something for everyone, given the fact that there are so many of them, and like you say, they are so clever and witty. Um, Good stuff. But speaking of good TV, don't we have an impeachment trial coming up this week that I can imagine lots of people will be watching? We do, Wendy, and I I call it the impeachment show trial, just like the Super Bowl is kind of a show. This is a show trial, in my opinion. In a way, it's dead on arrival. It was brought over to the Senate from the House after they deliberated. I can't believe this. It took them so long. It took them eight hours to deliberate. And they didn't present, I don't think, a scintilla of evidence. It was mainly just speaking, just people talking about why the president needs to be impeached. To me, it's a distraction. First of all, there was no due process. The 8-hour impeachment proceeding, it violates the due process clauses of the 5th and the 14th Amendment. Just on its face, it does. And what was interesting about that, Wendy, Eric Swalwell was named as the manager of the second impeachment. I guess he has some extra time on his hands between serving on the House Intelligence Committee and romancing the communist spy, Fang Fang, who's now fled the country. Guess he has some extra time to, to work on that. Well, speaking uh, speaking of time, Larry, you know, one thing that people are questioning is, was it a rush to judgment or was it something that maybe should have been both begun and completed before the president left office? Because this impeachment trial really brings up two issues, merits and math. Now, merits, I don't mean what the president did or didn't say or the storming of the Capitol. I mean, the merits of having an impeachment trial seeking to remove a president that is no longer in office. And lots of senators have been really speaking out on that issue, saying we don't even need necessarily to talk about what he did or didn't say or whether or not he should have been impeached. But because private citizen Trump is in a very different position than any other sitting president had been, haven't been that many, and the president is two of those, (laughs) he's in a very different position to where we can make that argument as senators that maybe it is not really the same thing or shouldn't be treated the same. I understand that you can go back to the year 1876 and find that there was a war secretary who was impeached once he was out of office and thereafter acquitted. But is this really what the impeachment process was designed for? And Larry, along those lines, if that's true, what would stop Republicans, for example, of going back and seeking to impeach President Obama? or Democrats seeking to impeach President Bush. I mean, if we if there's no longer going to be a requirement that the target still be in office, where would that end? Exactly. I, w- I would just, I hope it's thrown out. Uh, Article 2, Section 4 says, yeah, you have to be in office to be impeached. Article 1, Section 3, Clause 3 says that... Uh, that the chief justice, the Supreme Court will preside. Well, they're going to put in Senator Patrick Leahy, a Democrat who's already has expressed animus towards President Trump. How fair would that be? And if I could uh, quickly jump over to something, this just came in yesterday. It's amazing. And it's good news. Uh, The Supreme Court of the United States is going to allow the churches in California. This is a California kind of a specific ruling to uh, you cannot block indoor services. Now, what they didn't address, though, Wendy, is they they still can have like uh, requirements. You can't you can only have so many people in a building of a certain size and you can't sing or chant. 
Now, I don't know how they're going to enforce that, but again, that is a, that is a win. Now, what's important about that? The Chula Vista Church, uh, Bishop Art Hodges was one of the litigants in that case, and his attorney, uh, Chuck Lamandry, is the same amazing attorney that saved the Mount Soledad cross. So bless those guys. The other church uh, was in Pasadena. It was the uh, rock harvest uh, fellowship church, I think in Pasadena. And uh, so that's good news for everybody. Well, it's interesting. You bring up Chuck Lamandry, you know, you and I had him on our show um, and, and he did great. And you're right. He was involved also in the Mount Soledad cross. How are they going to enforce singing and chanting? Probably the same way they're going to enforce people on their private devices yelling and screaming tomorrow during the Super Bowl. That brings up one of the things that courts have been asking about is show me the nexus, show me the connection between the social restrictions, the mandates, the recommendations, best practices, whatever you want to call them, and the actual risk that is provided. Now, one distinction, and this is just fun for us as lawyers, it's almost academic, but but it's also practical. When you have, let's say, 100 people crowded under a canopy, outdoor dining at a public restaurant, public sports bar, yelling and screaming, and they're there for a long period of time, they're drinking, maybe they're not being as cautious as they should be, they have no masks, maybe they're in a little different position than parishioners and worshipers that go to a place of worship and are there for an hour who are seated, standing, but stationary, and are singing and chanting from that perspective. I mean, isn't that different? It's totally different. And I think uh, one, one time a news reporter asked me, you know, well, what about the older people who go to church? I tell you, the churches I go to, they tend to be on the younger side. I think the older people tend to stay home and watch and so forth. Uh, I just think the whole distinction. Well, we have to define older nowadays, I know, Larry. I know, and I, and I, I would say we have to be careful <laughs> with that. We're talking about over 35 for our listeners. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And uh, if I could just maybe get this in, too, before we go to our the second segment of our show, uh, to me, the biggest thing that's going on right now, Wendy, the thing that weighs on my heart the most is voter integrity. And that is so huge. Well, they just came out with a two hour documentary by Mike Lindell, the MyPillow guy. And I'm just saying, I don't know if it's true or false, but he's got experts on there, cybersecurity experts that if they don't work for the government now, they did. And they're like generals and very high up people. And they have proof, they claim, that we have been cyber attacked in the most massive way possible. So I'm just saying, I'm going to give you the website. Everybody should watch this. And you make up your own mind. It's Michael J. Lindell, dot com. Michael J. Lindell. L-I-N-D-E-L-L dot com and just watch it and make up your own mind. And I just say, if he's not telling the truth on that, then let them come up and rebut that uh, with yeah, evidence. And you know, I think that actually um, it, it's I like the way you phrase it. Make up your own mind, because law- uh, as lawyers, Larry, you and I both know, I mean, every story has two sides. That's why we have courts. That's why we have courtrooms. That's why we make sure that we don't judge cases in the court of public opinion. And it's a wonderful thing that we live in a day and age where we don't have to give opinions. We can just direct people to where they can gather information to make their own conclusions and their own opinions, just like you and I are used to doing in a court of law as opposed to the court of public opinion. Ironic that it's easier to do so in a court of law. But along those lines of making up your own mind and your own opinions, we have a very interesting guest that we're going to welcome in on the second half. We know you're not going to want to miss this because it actually involves somebody, a well-known political person who switched parties after his party changed so much 
that he actually had to do what most politicians never do. So folks, don't touch that dial. We will be back in a flash. You're listening to Today with Dr. Wendy. News cycle lowlights have no place here. You're listening to the headline highlights on Today with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego. It's time for more news you can use. The headlines streamline. It's time for more Today with Dr. Wendy. Now here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. Welcome back to Today with Dr. Wendy. I'm Wendy Patrick. So we live in a day and age where not only are we sports fans and television fans and experts at mask wearing and all the different things that characterize modern society, one of the other things that characterizes the world in which we live is a political climate where we have divisions, where we wish we didn't. We wish we were far more united than divided. And we have deeply held beliefs, some of which are deeply entrenched and have been for years. However, within that environment, that socioeconomic political environment, we still have people who decide to make dramatic mindset shifts. Uh, We have prominent examples and we have had prominent examples throughout the year, but we actually have a prominent example on the line with us today. Larry, who is our guest. Today, Wendy, privileged to have with us Representative Vernon Jones. Mr. Jones served as a state representative in the Georgia House of Representatives from 1993 to 2001, and then again in 2017 to 2021. He was also the chief executive officer of DeKalb County, Georgia, from 2001 to 2009, and he was a member of the Democratic Party until, I guess, last month, when he switched his party affiliation to Republican in January of 2021. So welcome to the program, Vernon. Thank you so much, Larry. Thank you, Dr. Wendy. I'm honored to be here, and I look forward to chatting with you guys and uh, having your viewers or your, your listeners, I should say, tune in. Hope they enjoy this uh, this time. Learn a lot about oh. you. Okay. Oh, well, thank you so much for, for joining us. And, and Vernon, I understand you grew up in a big family. So with brothers and sisters, I think you had what, four brothers and one sister. I'm, a, I'm probably guessing you learned about democracy in at home in the way in which you related to all of your siblings and your family members so with that background which no doubt involved negotiation and compromise and everything else that uh, that goes along with growing up in a big family what then made you want to join the georgia legislature well it's kind of ironic uh and it's interesting uh, by the way when you grow up in a big family you know there's pecking order the oldest, the oldest <laughs> truly is the oldest and kind of comes down the line. But uh, um, my parents were unelected public servants, if you will. Amen. Uh, they cared about our community. They cared about our neighbors. If someone's uh, house was uh, burned or if someone's uh, crops weren't doing well or if someone had lost a loved one or it could be anything, my parents were the first to be there. Uh, of course, with other families, to working through the church. The church was a big part of our, our foundation to to uh, be involved and help people, showing love and showing respect. And, you know, it was like uh, we shared each other's uh, labor. Our family helped another farmer, and that farmer's family helped us. And so it was a big group. And um, my dad always said, anytime you can help someone, always help them. And 
that was the foundation uh, for me for public service. Knowing my my dad also um, was very involved from his point of view um, and in politics. I think most of his politi- his, his favorites were politicians. My dad served in Third Army under General Patton, uh, and mm. Patton was wow. a, a big deal around my house. Sure. Uh, my dad talked about what amazing general he was, how he led, and uh, his military background coming from World War II. A lot of the, my cousins and friends, when they were drafted to go to Vietnam, they made that stop by my dad's house to understand what they were about to get into in terms of going to war. Uh, as a young soldier. So uh, just seeing that and uh, in college, been involved in college, obviously that helped a lot. That, that helped shape my foundation. First time I've ever, uh, I remember clearly when I went to register to vote, I wasn't supposed to. Me and one of my friends were hanging out in my freshman year. I'd never been away from home hardly. And I'm in this city, in Durham, North Carolina, at North Carolina Central University. And we're headed downtown to hang out. And he said, hey, let's stop by the register i said stop by the register register for what he said to vote and uh, i'm like man we don't have time to register vote let's get downtown and hang out you know freshman me country boy away from home he said uh, it made me feel so bad he said you're not registered to vote and i said no he said i'm gonna get your butt registered to vote right now uh, and wow that was the beginning of the beginning for me wow hey vernon i i saw you I think for the first time at the Republican National Convention, I think it was back in August of 2020, and you were amazing. You gave that great talk. I think people can still pull that up on YouTube. But I'm really interested. You were a lifelong Democrat. So what caused you to switch parties and become a Republican? Well, Larry, it's kind of interesting. Um, the reason why I changed jerseys, my, my game is the same. How I play the game is the same. Uh, my love for the game is the same in terms of public service. My my thoughts and, and how I was reared, that core foundation is the same. So it wasn't so much about me changing parties as much as it was about me not changing who I am and what my core beliefs are. And when I first got active really in the Democratic Party some 30 years ago, it was not the Democratic Party that it is now. Uh, back then, it was an honorable thing uh, in the Democratic Party to be vocal about your faith. It was also an honorable thing to be vocal about less government and more uh, more uh, independent, if you will, control of your personal life. Um, that, you know, there was a role for government, government trying to get into everything. Uh, traditional families, the Democratic Party supported traditional families. Yes. You know, they were much more fiscal conservative, among other things. And clearly, you wouldn't even think about a Democrat embracing socialism or, uh, or, or trampling over your First and your Second Amendment. So I went from, you know, almost 30 years ago when, uh, when I was in the House of Representatives, almost every Democrat was, was uh, a protector of Second Amendment. And most of them got high ratings from the NRA to now, uh, when I left the legislature, I was the only Democrat in the state Georgia General Assembly that had a rating, an A rating, from the NRA. Wow. And you know, that, I, it just changed so much. That's such a, it's really a great point that you made right at the beginning about, you know, you talk about switching jerseys, but 
really the job of the legislatures, the lawmakers should be to find that common ground and sort of move the ball forward. And we're all talking football since tomorrow's Super Bowl and, and to even the playing field. I promise that's the last one. And but when you look at all of the comments you just made, sort of from a, um, a broader perspective, isn't there a way in which Congress can actually focus on the things that unite us? I mean, how many American families don't talk about the big ticket issues, the kitchen table issues, jobs, healthcare, uh, coronavirus, vaccines, not everybody wants to take a vaccine, all the ways in which we are exactly the same in terms of caring about ourselves, our family and our future. Why in your experience, and maybe you actually do have some plans in this regard for your own future, how can we uh, advance as more of a unified team, regardless of what color jersey we wear? You, you know, I think it's very difficult now. It's almost like when the Tea Party was a very prominent factor, Republican Party, it was either their way or no, high, or no way, their way or the highway. And there was time for compromise on things important, such as immigration, but they wanted it to be a certain way. That tide has flipped now, and the, the Tea Party fractured the Republican Party, and for a moment it killed off the Republican Party where they lost ground. It's now like that in the Democratic Party. That far left is in so much control, and it's all their way or no way, but it's a, it's a different kind of extremism where their agenda is strictly social issues. Yes. And, and it's not kitchen table issues. In other words, they're focusing on whether or not now, when you're in the house floor, whether you address someone as a, as a brother or sister or mother or father, they want you now to refer to each other as siblings or parent or guardian, where identity politics now is just, it has crept into it so much where uh, there's literally an attack on the heterosexual male. Um, be who you want to be, be, you know, I, I don't care who you want to be, but it's to the point where if you're not of a certain ilk, if you're not referred to as a certain way, you no longer can say, I am a man. And it's going to seep from the house floor to our classrooms. I'm afraid of it's almost as if black lives matter again, social, they want to talk about black lives matter. But all lives don't matter to Black Lives Matter, including many Black lives not mattering to Black Lives Matter. Exactly. Their main agenda is is socialist, uh, 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 Marxist. Uh, um, wait a minute, that's not America. Yes. I, I, that that is not that's not the way this America was. was it's not what it was founded upon. Um, and so you cannot now now you you, you know AOC they're the they control. Uh, the, the Democratic Party now, that squad, where you can't find reason. And then the media, here's the biggest thing now. The media has clearly taken a position. They've taken sides. They have a party that they favor. And so the messaging now is so divisive. And, and, and to give an example, uh, what happened in Washington, D.C. on January 6th was not, this president didn't set out to do that. That was, that was just incorrect. And, and the president said out of his own words to let your Congress know peacefully. Uh, when you, but on the other hand, when you saw Nancy Pelosi, Maxine Waters, AOC, and some of those others 
who, including Joe Biden, who would not call out Black Lives Matter and Antifa. They were burning properties, including federal courthouses and police stations. Over 26 people or nearly 26 people were killed, including young children. And, and, and yeah. when you look at that, 700 police officers are uh, injured. And, and none of them said a word. Where was, where was the call to denounce insurrections then? It wasn't there. And the media played a big role. And look at that article in Time Magazine by Molly. I um, can't think of her last name. It'll come to me in a minute. But yeah, Vernon, this, this is excellent. Uh, sadly, we've got about five seconds left. I want to use that to thank you for joining us and sharing so much of your personal experiences with us and our listeners. Yes. I could listen to you all day long, and Larry and I would love to have you back. So... Thank you okay. so much for, for thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you to our listeners. You're listening to today with Dr. Wendy Headlines with a Silver Lining. Have a wonderful, safe Super Bowl Sunday. We will be back next week. God bless you. Thank you for joining us for Today with Dr. Wendy. You can learn more about Dr. Wendy and how to become a guest or sponsor of the show by visiting wendypatrickphd.com. That's wendypatrickphd.com. Tune in every week at this same time as Dr. Wendy will engage and inspire you with an upbeat viewpoint on the highlights of the day. This has been Today with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego. 